when we returned to in-person worship back in September, the Lord put it on my heart to preach from Zechariah chapter 4. That chapter is a message to people who are called to rebuild. We're called to rebuild, to rebuild all that's been broken. And we know those things in 2020, particularly our churches. And I see rebuilding as a wonderful opportunity that the Lord has given to us. And so I'm excited about it. I'm passionate about rebuilding and what will prayerfully soon be a post-COVID, post-election, and post-riot riddled world. I'm passionate about telling everyone who will listen that the stones that we will use to rebuild are the means of grace that God gives to us. His word, the sacraments, and prayer. These are the places where the Spirit of God meets us, speaks to us, sustains us, strengthens us, and sends us out. And attending to these means of grace are, are going to assure that everything that you and I do as individuals and the church is not by our might and not by our strength, but by the Spirit of God. And so I'm passionate about talking about those means of grace. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. This week, I honestly felt compelled by the Lord to answer a question that people are asking me. That I hear people asking each other, and the question is this, what am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to do now? And by now, I mean after our country-shaking election. For some, President Trump is the end of the world. For some, President Trump is the hope of the world. For some, Joe Biden presidency, the end of the world. For others, the Joe Biden presidency, the hope of the world. So what are we supposed to do now with victory? What are we supposed to do with defeat? Other people are in total despair. What am I supposed to do now in a country where our best options are Donald Trump or Joe Biden? What am I supposed to do in the midst of all the brokenness and bitter and hate and rage and rancor? We don't have to guess at the answer to that question because Scripture tells us what we are supposed to do. And what we are supposed to do is seize this moment in time to do the job that God has given us to do. The job that only we can do. Only we can do this job. The job that God has prepared us to do, what He's equipped us to do, and what He continually strengthens us to do. Here's the job. As those reconciled to God through Christ, we must live out the newness he has given us, and we must be messengers of reconciliation. We must live out the newness of life that God has given to us in Christ, and we must be ministers of reconciliation. That's what I also talk about this morning as we come to our passage. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can take those out now. The passage is also printed for you in the bulletin. So once you have your Bible or your phone or your bulletin, if you'll please stand so that we might hear 
read together and honor the word of the living God. Second Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Speaking to us. Preserving it for us. Thank you, Lord, because of your word, we're not left alone. We're not left adrift to guess of what to do, to build your kingdom, to make this world more the place that you've enabled it to be. So, Father, we pray now that as we come to your word, you fulfill your promise to bless the reading of it and the hearing of it. Bless us, Lord, with understanding. Bless us with conviction. Bless us with passion and bless us with power to do the things you've called us to do and be the people you've called us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So this morning we're just going to simply look at the two things that we are supposed to do now. The first of those things is to live out and, and let show. Live out and let show your new life in Christ. Look at verse 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, now keep looking down at those verses, at, at, at the physical words, because the arrangement of the words in these verses sends a powerful message. So, so look, new creation, old passed away, new has come. So you see, the old is completely surrounded by the new. It's trapped. It's caught in the middle. It can't get away. The old has no hope. By the power of God, the old is going to be swallowed up by the new. In this verse, new is used in the sense that something obsolete is being replaced with something better. A better way. And that's what we long for. We, we long for something new. It's what Aladdin promised Jasmine. A whole new world. Dazzling point of view. No one to tell us no or where to go. Or say we're going to dream it all. New world. It's what we, we want. So many people today call themselves and value being a, a progressive. They, they wear that with they, they believe themselves to be progressing away from an old world toward a new and better world. So they say with pride, I'm a progressive. Well, it's not difficult for us to identify who true 
progressives are. If you are moving closer, and if in your thinking and living you are moving closer and closer to God, then you are a true progressive. If you are moving further and further away from God, you are a regressive. No one, no one would argue with the truth that the further you regress away from the sun, the colder you get. The further you regress away from the light, the darker it gets. The further you regress away from love, the more hateful you become. The further you regress away from life, the more decayed you become. The further you regress away from joy, the more in despair you come, become. Only, only when you are moving toward God are you truly progressive. Because guess what? God is light. He is, he, he is love. He is life. Scripture says in His presence there's fullness of joy. Therefore, true progressives are always moving toward God. And how do we access God? How do we access His love and life and light? Only through Christ. See, I believe that the Roman Empire believed themselves to be very progressive. We think that too. Because we still duplicate their architecture. We enshrine their literature. We even copy parts of their political structure. But actually, it wasn't progressive at all. It was worn out, weary, dark, cold, confused, because it wasn't moving toward God. And despite all their cutting-edge technology and all the advancements of the Roman world, God saw that for what they really were. And God called them a people who were walking in darkness. A people who were living in the shadow of death. That's no way to live in this world. That's no way to live in this world, not according to the God who created it. And so regression away from God, a great regression away from who God created us to be as human beings and our relationships and our desires and our goals, the regression had gone too far. God said, too far. So what did God do? Just at the right time. Perhaps the time when the regression was its greatest in its pseudo-progressiveness, God inserted his life. That's what the angel announced on that night. Unto you a Savior has been born. There's life. That's what the angel announced. There was light. The glory of the Lord in the sky. The, the star lighting up the dark night sky. The, the, there was light. There was joy. The angel said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. There was love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So see, in Christ, in Christ, God replaces the old with the new, where the life and light and love and power of Christ is, the old doesn't stand a chance. Is that good news? Jesus banishes the old darkness and the old death and the old 
old sadness. He alone can make all things new, and that's what he's done for us. Because of Christ, we are new creations. So what are you supposed to do now? Bring that newness into your world. You know, Kathy and I are normally very reserved people. Unexcitable. Soft-spoken. Why are you laughing? Thursday morning, we were on our porch reading Acts 3. The account of the, the very first miracle that the disciples did, Peter and John, they healed that lame beggar at the gate. We watched. We watched this physically and spiritually made new man enter the temple. And we watched this physically and spiritually made new man walk and leap and praise the Lord. And suddenly Kathy and I lost our normal reserve and we were having church on the back porch. Walking, leaping, praising God. This is the reaction that new creation produces in us. And it's the very first miracle that God performs through his disciples. And so it's a picture for us from the very beginning of what Jesus does and will continue to do until he comes again. And that is make people new over and over again. We have this newness to show the world. Yesterday morning, we were reading Psalm 84. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways of Zion. Beautiful in your heart, the way to God, the longing for God. As they go through the valley of Baca, a place of dryness, they make it a place of springs. Same verses from the New Living Translation. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. Listen, here's a picture for us of what new creations can do in this world. We can bring springs, the life in Christ in us can bring springs to dry places. We can bring refreshment to those who are weeping because we are made new in Christ. That's for you and me. Progressives bringing refreshment to a dry, weeping world. So what are you supposed to do? Let your new creation walking and leaping and praising God life in Christ show. What are you supposed to do? Tell yourself the truth. The old way, the Christless way, doesn't bring newness. It progresses only toward death. So don't be deceived into following those ways. Don't join in with those old ways. Philippians chapter 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing. That's the old way, right? But it's become the new way in our world. Do everything without grumbling and complaining so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. God has made us new creations, so that newness he has given to you and to me shines 
like a star in the black night. What are you supposed to do now? Live out that newness. Secondly, what are you supposed to do now? You're supposed to be a reconciler. Look in verse 18, 19, and 20. In these three verses, you see the form of the word reconcile five times. Three times it's a verb, two times it's a noun. Verse 18, God reconciled us to himself. Verse 18, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. Verse 19, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, be reconciled to God. Must be an important word, don't you think? The verb reconcile simply means to exchange one thing for another. To exchange one thing for another. And that's what happens in a couple that's headed for divorce. Husband and wife, here they are, they're no longer friends. They become enemies. So if they reconcile, they replace this hostile relationship that has developed between them for a friendly one. And that's what God has done for us. He has replaced the hostile relationship that we had with him for a friendly one. But we have to be careful how far we take the marriage illustration. Because when a husband and wife have a hostile relationship, there's always some degree of guilt in both parties. They're both guilty because both of them are sinners. And so their reconciliation, their coming back together, is based on mutual confession of guilt and mutual agreement to, to work on restoration and reconciliation. Listen, not so with God and us. In God, there's no sin. No fault lies with God. God does not share with us the responsibility for the brokenness. God is 100% wrong. God is sinned against. The broken relationship with God is entirely on our side. We were hostile to Him. We are 100% guilty, and that's what makes the gospel so beautiful, right? What the guiltless God has done for us by His grace. Neither is it true that both sides give a little. We gave nothing. God gave 100% because God gave Himself so that we might be reconciled to Him. This is from God. It's His gift. He did it. Romans 5.11 We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received received reconciliation. It's God's gift to us. So what are you supposed to do now? Give thanks to God every day for what He has done for you. Revisit God's reconciling work in your life every day. Every morning when you wake up, say, good morning, Lord. Thank you that you have made me your friend. That'll keep you humble. That'll keep you in awe. Why me, Lord? Why have you done this for me? It'll keep you gracious. It'll keep you compassionate with others who also need the 100% work of God in their life. 
in order for that exchange to be made. Now let's move to the noun form of the word, reconciliation. It simply means it's, it's a reestablishment of an interrupted or a broken relationship. It is the reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. Look at verse 18. It says that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry, it just means to serve. And so that's what you and I do. We serve it up. We serve up this ministry of reconciliation, a broken relationship made new. It's possible through Christ. That's our message. Reconciliation too. A life-filled, light-filled, love-filled, joy-filled God. It's possible through Jesus Christ and faith in Him. Look at verse 19. It says that we've been entrusted the message of reconciliation. And that word entrust means committed. It's like God has said this. Here it is. The word means to place, to lay, to fix, to arrange, to establish. So it means there's no getting out of this. You, you, you guys, it, it, it's our job. God is on purpose. Put this ministry of reconciliation right in our laps. Here it is. This is for you to do. We can't shirk the responsibility. So what are we to do now? Take up this responsibility. Be a faithful steward of what God has entrusted you. Be a faithful servant of this message of reconciliation. That's what the world needs from us right now. They need to hear the good news of reconciliation, and they need to see us as those who have been reconciled. And they see that most vividly. And they see that most compellingly when we first see, or when they see, how we know to be reconciled to each other. We'll say that again. Our ministry of reconciliation is most effective and is displayed most vividly in this world when they see that we know how to be reconciled not only with God, but with one another. Why do you think Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaking. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother, your brother, has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. Don't come to worship. Don't come. Don't give the Lord. If you're not reconciled to your brother, first be reconciled to your brother, your sister, then come and offer your gift. So I'm going to borrow Paul's word from verse 20. You see there the word implore, and I'm going to use it right now, and it also means beg, and so I'm going to beg this. I'm going to beg brothers and sisters, be reconciled to your brothers and sisters. Christians break fellowship with one another far too often and far too easily. So I'm going to take you on a history tour right now. And, and at first it's going to be okay. Yeah, it's okay. But then it's going to get a little uncomfortable. You're going to start wiggling, and you're just going to start worrying about me and, and what people are going to think and, and what they're going to do. But hey, I, I, I'm a big boy, so let's let, let's go back 30 years. Do you remember Cabbage Patch dolls? Who remembers Cabbage Patch dolls? Yeah, it was a brilliant marketing idea, right? There were these dolls that you could adopt, and the, the doll came with a little history, and the doll came with the name. Uh, you know, an adoptive name. It, it's brilliant, right? Because who wants one name for a doll? What's your doll's name, Barbie? What's your doll's name, Barbie? What's your doll's name, Barbie? Right? Now, 
Now, couch patch dolls have their own names. Well, it began to be told that those names that were sent with your cabbage patch doll, they were names of ancient pagan gods. And so it became a point of contention, and more than that, it became a point of division. You cannot possibly be a believer in Christ and own or give to your children cabbage patch dolls. And so we saw this, because we're old. People who had been lifelong friends, raised together, who were now raising their children together, broke that relationship. They became enemies over the cabbage patch doll. One church invited a well-known, nationally well-known uh, guest uh, speaker. Uh, and, and he spoke against cabbage patch dolls, and he had the church build a uh, 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 fire. And he called the people of the church to come and to toss their cabbage patch dolls upon the fire. And they did it. Or at least those who were truly Christian threw their cabbage patch dolls on the fire. True story, a friend of mine was present for the burning. Now, let's fast forward to the 90s. The publication of, wait for it, Harry Potter. You cannot possibly be a believer in Christ and read or let your children read Harry Potter. And so lifelong relationships were broken over Harry Potter. Fast forward, 2020, the face mask. Do I need to say more? Friends of mine, pastor friends of mine here in Charleston have lost decades-long church members because of their policy on face masks. I don't even know what the policy is. Those relationships broken over a face mask. Now let's come to the very present. You ready? Everybody relax. You cannot possibly be a believer in Christ and have voted for Donald Trump. You cannot possibly be a believer in Christ and have voted for Joe Biden. And guess what? Apparently, millions of people who love the Lord, have faith in Christ, voted for each one of these men. I don't understand how people voted the way they did. You don't understand how some people voted the way they did, but that's part of the problem. I don't understand. You don't understand completely, and yet here's what we do. We credit ourselves with infallibility, and we credit ourselves with omniscience, but we deny those qualities to everybody else. It's only us that make no mistakes. It's only us that know everything. The truth is, we're limited in our perspective. And our understanding. Out of almost 8 billion people and perspectives in the world, guess what? Yours is one. Yours is one of almost 8 billion. Unique experiences shape us all uniquely. Even people raised in the very same household have a different perspective on what they see. So be humble. Can we be humble? People have a way of, of seeing that allow them to vote the way they voted, a way you, you don't see it no matter who you voted for. Listen, listen. No matter who you voted for, you had to overlook something. You had to overlook a, a character quality, 
uh, a policy. You had to overlook something, and I guarantee you it was not godly and it was not biblical. But you overlooked it in both men. And if you deny that, then you give to either one of these men God's status. As if they make no mistakes, as if they're perfect. They're not. You had to overlook something in order to cast your vote. It's just that we chose different things. People chose different things to turn a blind eye to. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is, the greatest of these is, we don't understand everything God's doing. He guides me by opening my eyes to some things, closing my eyes to others. He guides me by using my gifts and passions for some things, but not for others. And he's at work in this way, and all of us accomplishing his purpose. Now listen. Because I know you're looking for a way to break fellowship with the pastor when he says. Am I saying that it doesn't matter what you believe? Am I promoting a, a, a convictionless Christianity? Am I saying that we should all just hold hands and sing to That's not what I'm saying. Of course, there's truth. Truth is contained right here in this word. I'm just saying it's beyond our limited, finite ability to understand all of this truth in all its facets, completely and fully. So be humble. That's what you can do now. You don't know everything. Neither do I. Be gracious. Talk less. Listen more. Look for ways to maintain fellowship instead of break it. In the incompleteness of your passions and your perspectives, we gotta have faith. We gotta have hope. But the greatest of all, we gotta have love. In humility, we gotta be reconciled to one another. And not just over politics. Politics is gonna pass. Something else is gonna come along. You and I believe wrong things about each other. We assume we know. We know that we know that we know. And we break fellowship silently. You don't know. I don't know. So guess what? Ask. Ask. Ask what somebody thinks. Ask. What they believe. You might discover that you were wrong. You might discover that you were willing to break relationship over nothing. Be reconciled. Because listen, who wants to listen to our message of reconciliation? Who wants to hear it? If those who have been reconciled to God through Christ can't be reconciled with one another. If we won't exchange a hostile relationship for a friendly one in Christ, why should they? And so the dolls and the books, and the masks, these trivial and passing things, they, they mock us. Our enemy uses them to mock us and to distract us and to discredit us in the world and our message. I'm not saying a biblical case can't be made for your opinion, but should you spend your time searching scripture, looking for a reason why you can't have a cabbage patch doll? Or why you should or shouldn't wear a mask. Listen, listen. We can beat Satan as an game. We can beat Satan as an game. You know how? We can love one another deeply 
and from the heart. That's what the power of the Spirit of God does in us. And we can focus our time and energy when the Lord allows us to come together. Not talking about politics, talking about the gospel. What's the gospel done for us? What does the gospel require of us? Who should we be because of the gospel? What should we do in the world because of the gospel? These are worthy questions. These are worthy discussions to have. And, and they're discussions that are going to bring joy and excitement instead of bitterness and hate. Let's be reconciled to one another. Brothers and sisters, for that's who we are. Brothers and sisters in Christ. It's what we're supposed to do in this divided, divisive, hate and animosity-filled world. Okay, you're going to relax. The hard part's over. I'm almost finished. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. The Greek word for ambassador is presbuomen. Presbuomen. Another form of the word from which we get presbyter and presbyterian. So here is biblical proof to offer to all your friends that every believer in Christ should be a presbyterian. <laughs> it simply means one who is sent. That's what it means. Presbyterian means what ambassador means. One who is sent. Sent as a messenger or representative of someone else. We represent God. What's our message? Look at verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. That's our message. We go tell the world. We go tell those who we meet. Guess what? God is not holding your sins against you. In Christ, he's releasing you. In Christ, he's releasing you from those sins. That is good news. And we get to share it. God has reconciled us to himself so that we can uniquely be ambassadors in our world. Only we can be that. Only we can be that. And now look at verse 20 and feel the weight of these words. God making his appeal through us. Can you believe it? God is allowing us to be his mouthpiece. God is allowing us to speak his message to the world. So what are you supposed to do now? What are you supposed to do now? Now. Live and let's show the joy of your new life in Christ. Walking, leaving, praising God. Refresh those that you know with your joy that comes from your new creation. What are you supposed to do now? Take this message of reconciliation to the world. It's what we're supposed to do right now. That's the task before us. And guess what? It's not finished yet. We have something to do. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that we are never have to be at a loss for what to do in this world because you tell us. Passages this morning, like the one before us this morning, Lord, speak so clearly to that to that task. 
We thank you, Lord, how we thank you that you have made us new in Christ. We say to you now, right now, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have made me your friend. Thank you, Lord, I would love the joy of a relationship that is friendship with God. Father, help us to take out this call to be reconciled. Lord, this is one of those verses that we read and we immediately follow it with a yeah, but. Lord, I know I'm supposed to be reconciled. Yeah, but you don't know that person. You don't know what they think. You don't know what they did. That's what we do, Lord. Instead, you say to be reconciled. So we got to do the hard work, Lord, through conversations, through prayer, and the strength of your spirit. So that, Lord, our witness is credible so that our witness is believable when we go and tell the world, guess what? God's not holding your sins against you. He's releasing you from them through faith in Christ. So, Lord, we pray that you will cause us to be reconciled with other believers who are from the same team. We have the same task and it's to get the gospel message, the reconciliation message out of the world. And so, Lord, we pray that we would focus on that and that we would all empty our hands of other things so we can take up this task that you have put before us for the rest of our lives, Lord, being your ambassadors, your mouthpieces, speaking your words to our world. They need it. Do it innocent through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.